You're listening to the Casting for Fun podcast, the show that talks about entertainment, sports, music, and inspirational stories for all to enjoy. We're glad you could join us today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now, here is your host, Albert Pineda. Welcome, everybody, to the Casting for Fun podcast. I am your host, Albert Pineda, and this is the first episode for 2024. Uh, this will be for January 3rd, 2024. Uh, I hope everybody had a wonderful, safe time celebrating the new year and that you have much to look forward to in this coming year of 2024. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year for me, uh, to say the least, <laughs> but I'm very excited for what the future holds. Very excited to keep the podcast going for episode two, I'm sorry, 102, haven't reached 200 yet, but uh, the plan is to get to 200 someday. <laughs> uh, so for this week's episode, I'm going to be doing a track by track review to celebrate the, the 40th anniversary of Van Halen's classic 1984 album titled 1984. And to celebrate this uh, momentous occasion, I've invited back frequent collaborators, good friends of the show, Nick Turner and Jeff Haskins, to talk about this album, track by track, to review every song, to, to share stories about Van Halen. Uh, Jeff was absolutely the perfect person to invite because of all my friends, he's the probably the biggest Van Halen fan that you'll, you'll run into. And and then, of course, Nick always loves music. We always have a fun time talking about music. So this was a really cool uh, episode for me to record and expect to see more of these episodes in the future. It's a really uh, awesome concept, I think, to incorporate it into a podcast. And in fact, I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of a taste of what's coming up in the next few weeks. There's going to be a track by track review of the EP from the band Alice in Chains, Jars of Flies, uh, which is celebrating its 30th anniversary uh, in a few weeks. And then, of course, Incubus is going to celebrate its 20th anniversary for their album, A Crow After the Murder. So that will be another episode that I focus on track by track. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and dive into it. This is Van Halen, 1984, 40th anniversary with Nick Turner and Jeff Haskins. Welcome back to the show, Nick Turner, Jeff Haskins. Gentlemen, how is everyone doing tonight? Good. Real well, real well. Thank you. It's good to see you both, and, uh, and Happy New Year to you both. I mean, technically, we're recording a few days uh, still into 2023, but when this out, this uh, podcast is released, it will be 2024. So Happy New Year, gentlemen. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Very good. Very good. So so tonight, was that's a really interesting topic of discussion that I wanted to go over with both of you. Uh, Nick and I are obviously are huge fans of music, but for you, Jeff, I mean, we're going to be talking about Van Halen. So I know this is going to be an re- extra special treat for you. So to celebrate the 40th anniversary of uh, their landmark 1984 album, hence the title 1984, we're going to be uh, talking about Van Halen's album track by track reviewing every single song and sharing stories about the making of this album. Jeff, sharing your experiences of Van Halen, what they meant to you as a youth, what I'm, sorry, I'm sure what they still mean to you today. Uh, and it's kind of interesting and cool that, you know, when when people pass away, you know, we we lost Eddie Van Halen a few years ago. I think uh, when things like that happen, a new generation of people, kids, like ex- are exposed to the music, they they discover it. So it's almost kind of like uh, re- reinventing themselves in a sense, I think. The fact that people can actually get into it now, 40 years after this initial album came out. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you bring this up, 1984, because to me, I mean, I came into Van Halen in the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the earlier stuff. And I know that you guys all know those albums. I know because you've listened to them in my car, in my truck, <laughs> in Mo- Moby, in Moby, it rang, it rang yeah. out. But um, 1984 was definitely a landmark for a, for a few reasons. I'm anxious to see how much you guys, both of you know about exactly why 1984 was um, important, what distinguished it. Oh, okay. So a few things I want to share off the top of my head. And then, of course, I'll turn the time over to you and Nick as well before we jump into the actual uh, track by track review. So uh, this was the last album that was uh, released and recorded with the four original band members with Eddie, 
uh, Alex, uh, David Lee Roth, and Michael Anthony. Uh, after this album, uh, David Lee Roth would embark on his solo career. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, Jeff, as well. And then, of course, they would incorporate uh, uh, Sammy Hagar as their new frontman after that. Uh, it sold it sold just under 12 million copies worldwide. So, I mean, this was one of their their most commercially successful album, which is really, really great, really cool. Uh, and it incorporated the the use of synthesizers, which I think was controversial at the time. So I wanted to ask you about that as well, Jeff. Uh, from what I read and, and heard from articles, apparently uh, David Lee Roth wasn't necessarily a huge fan. And I don't know if that had anything to do with him embarking on the solo career, di distancing himself from the group, along with the music producer, Ted Templeman, who I guess was the, the head of uh, Warner Brothers Records at the time. I guess he wasn't initially a fan of the synthesizer sound as well. So what do you remember, Jeff, when this album was first released and you heard the song Jump for the first time? Well, I thought, you know, I thought this would make a fantastic track for suicide hotlines. People on hold. But you know what? I I I kid, right? That's that's mm -hmm. kind of that's that's a uh, joke. But but yes. it's also very true because uh, David Lee Roth actually was inspired by uh, a gentleman who was uh, wavering. He was waffling on the ledge of a skyscraper of whether he wanted to jump or not. And he said, "Just jump. If you're going to jump, jump." You, now there's a huge crowd, and that was one of the reasons why. Um, now uh, the studio was afraid of the Van Halen's. Uh, because they had developed their own studio. Um, Eddie Van Halen put his own money out and he built 5150. We all know what 5150 is mm -hmm. in, in the, you know, in, in police code. Mm -hmm. And he, he built his own home studio. And that really took a lot of control away from Warner Brothers, away from uh, Ted uh, Templeton and, 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 and David Lee Roth uh, to an extent. When you have artists that are made to produce albums because they're under contract there's a lot of pressure for them and they're supposed to be in studio this is how it's always been done um i know aerosmith went through the same thing and i don't want to touch i don't want to i don't want to go too far off the rails on on my aerosmith experiences but they they did the same thing when they developed what's called the boneyard which is was a studio that they built in joe perry's uh mansion in um in Boston, in Boston, Massachusetts, um, they developed a style of music that was not as commercially palatable as uh, as was produced uh, by professional producers. I mean, the, go back as far as the Beatles. Uh, most of their music would be unrecognizable by you if you listen to their raw tracks before George Martin or. Um, Who's that uh, wingnut that, that killed that actress? Um, sorry, I don't know if there's a cough button. <clears throat> but um, uh, Charles Manson? No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> Ronnie Spector. Oh, Ronnie okay. Spector. Uh, Phil <laughs> Spector. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Had what he called the wall of sound, and he would add orchestra and tracks to the Beatles' music which created um, a very flowery version of like the long and winding road, which was a very small song that became this huge, like Philharmonic style production that Paul McCartney wasn't happy with. Okay. So fast forward to Eddie Van Halen and versus David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth really didn't want to mess up a good thing. You know, David Lee Roth wasn't a Van Halen. He wasn't, uh, he was the last member to join van halen and uh um when he did he did it at a time where guitar bands were the thing you know guitar bands and and why would you mess up a good thing when you had eddie van halen at the guitar you're talking about the virtuoso of all virtuosos the, the yeah. great best of all time uh, i don't he's always in the top three no matter who whose list, whether it's Rolling Stone magazine list or Guitar World, he's always in the top three. And the truth of it is he's really number one. He he drew from the experiences of um, Jimmy Page, um, of his uh, his style of holding a note and then putting and then tapping his fingers to change it a bit, uh, to accent it. And he, he, he illustrated that, but he perfected it and he, he was amazing. So in from David Lee Ross' perspective, why mess up that good thing? 
why would you put someone like that behind a keyboard? Why? Why? There's no reason to, right? Mm-hmm. The Van Halen brothers, they started on piano. They, he's, he's, he's spoken very much. So is Alex, uh, Alex Van Halen has spoken quite a bit about the routine that their mother put them through uh, learning the piano. And that was just a natural thing. It was, it was obvious. He had his own studio now, so he was going to branch out and he synthesized not only the pianos, but also the bass and the guitar. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a straight out synthesizer. Oh, very interesting. In fact, uh, Jeff, I wanted to ask you, like, uh, what I had heard is that uh, Eddie had actually been trained in classical piano, right? I mean, he he was yep. accomplished accomplished pianist, uh, and I think was actually a big fan of like classical music, if I'm not mistaken. In fact, uh, this is just speculation on my part. You can confirm whether or not this is true, as you being the super fan. But my understanding was he named his son Wolfgang after uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, right? No, that, that, that was his, that was a, that was a family name. Oh, was it okay? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Edward Edward is uh, Edward uh, Wolfgang Van Halen. Oh, so okay, so that not so much for the the no. classical composer. Okay. No, but but the Van Halen Eddie and Alex's father was a classically trained musician who traveled to America. Uh, there, the way he paid their fare was to perform in the band on the ship, and uh, you know he was a club a club uh, musician. I, I watched a, um, I, I don't think it was a TED talk, but it was some kind of a, an interview with Edward Van Halen just a couple of years ago where uh, he, he really got emotional talking about his father's influence in his music and how at near the end of the interview, um, the interviewer asked him if there was anyone he could play with from history, whether it be Jimi Hendrix or um, Eddie Cochran, anybody, anyone he would, or Buddy Holly, because these were all influences, uh, who would he like to play with? And he says, if I had my, if I had my choice, I'd like to jam with my father again. And that, that's, that's pretty, that's, yeah, that's, that's the influence that his father had on Is it safe to say it sounds kind of like there was, the issue was artistic expression versus the money train? Well, yeah, but you can't separate the two because without the artistic expression, the money train stops. You know, look, look, look what happens when people screw with a good formula. You know, people stop listening to them. And I can see where David Lee Roth, he that you talk about a one trick pony. You know, I mean, David Lee Roth was all about sensationalizing the music and not really um, making the music. That makes any sense. Uh, I think he was always about the dollar. And and he did it very, very well. He he struck a chord and he was able to uh, do the lyrics at, in this particular particular album because he was at odds with the music. Um, he had to actually they had to hire a, another lyricist like Michael McDonald helped on this album with the lyrics. He was the singer from Doobie Brothers and a couple of other um, <clears throat> bands. Okay, we'll we'll get to that song when we get to it. Yeah, uh, I'll wait. Track number seven. But yeah, yeah, I'll wait exactly because David Lee Roth was having a difficult time. You know, he was throwing a bit of a of a tantrum over the the idea of having so much synthesizer. He didn't think people would want to buy the album because they buy albums thinking Eddie Van Halen's going to shred the guitar. And uh, I think, as you can see on these tracks as we go through them, he does that. In, in an amazing way and incorporates the synthesizer, the, the bass synthesizer, the guitar synthesizer, synthesizer and the piano. It oh, absolutely. Genius. Yeah. Very nice. So actually, if we're, if we're ready, guys, uh, do you want to go ahead and jump into it? Let's yeah. Do it. Okay, very cool. So we're going to review 1984 in its entirety, uh, track <laughs> by track. This is going to be really cool and fun. Yeah. 
Very interesting. So, uh, Jeff, from your experience, and I guess from your point of view, from the fans' perspective, what do you think people would have thought when they initially heard that? They, they, they buy the album, they're, they're popping it into, I guess, the record player at the time, because CDs players were a little more obscure, right? Available, but a little more expensive. Yeah. So when they, when they hear that initial, like, synthesizer riff in there, what do you think people were thinking? Well, I'll tell you what I was thinking. I was thinking, oh, boy, there it goes. You know, I didn't I didn't realize, I mean, just the first uh, five seconds, seven seconds kind of, you know, wasn't really anything that I really wanted to listen to. I'm, I'm glad that I stuck with it long enough to hear the next track, because this was definitely one of those far out synthesized things. I really enjoy. Um, you guys know uh, the Alan Parsons project? Yeah. Yep. You know, I really, no, no notable uh, 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 Australian physicist, right? Who who teamed up with Doctor Evil, right? Touche, touche. He was a producer for um for Pink Floyd and and yeah. a lot of other bands. And uh-huh. um, he he used it. He used a lot of stuff. And when I was young, um, we used to listen on 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 our hi fi on our reel to reel. Um, uh, an artist named Wendy Carlos that did uh, switched on uh, Bach and switched on the Beatles and switched on, you know, different bands, which was his interpretation on the Moog uh, synthesizer. It was amazing. And when I heard this for the first time, I honestly thought, oh, this is what we're in for. You know, this is going to be a, a major shift in, in, um, in what we know of as Van Halen. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's what I thought. And I, I just, just oh go ahead Nick I'm sorry I was just gonna say to change the airs a little bit like to me intros like that were a common thing when I was a kid because of mm-hmm. things like this mm-hmm. like so when you heard a different intro you knew to wait and give it a chance because mm-hmm. Van Halen and so many other bands had done it by the time you know we were teenagers. Well, what you're what you're looking for is an intro like eruption, something that just hits you right upside the head and leaves you stunned and then you just enjoy the rest of the show you know Mm -hmm. that's what that's what to me this this was just a total shift in there in the in the whole paradigm of what starts out of Van Halen album Mm -hmm. not a bad shift now in retrospect but just looking at it from from the start very cool okay so let's jump into track number two this is uh probably the band's most signature most famous song right jump ultimate party anthem i think it's just really like gets the crowd pumping it's just uh exciting to listen to and then you know jeff you touched on it earlier i think it was kind of this particular song uh it really incorporated the best of both worlds i mean so we didn't get to it just yet but uh eddie drops in his really cool guitarist on top of the the synthesizers which he he performed both on for for the album right yeah, for the recording. So I guess in a way, I would think of Jump as being like the best of both worlds, incorporating this new synthesizer sound that they wanted to utilize, but still at the same time, uh, incorporating classic Eddie Van Halen stuff. Yep, yep. And you can hear in the uh, in the pre-chorus what um, uh, David Lee Roth wrote and sang was, "Can't you see me standing here? I got my back against the record machine." I ain't the worst that you've seen. Oh, can't you see what I mean? I mean, in one sense, he's kind of pleading with everyone to kind of hear him out that this probably isn't the best way, but he's got his back up against the machine. Uh, and that's the Van Halen machine. It isn't going to go anywhere um, but up. And if he doesn't want to go with it, that's that's how I kind of interpreted this song, uh, to be honest with you, when I when I reviewed the lyrics. Um, 
40 years ago. Hey, Jeff, how many times did you see them live? Did you see them live? Well, I saw them live uh, with a ticket in my hand probably three or four times. But okay. I've probably seen them live somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 12, between 12 and 14 times, something like that, because there were occasions when we were able to see them before they were filling arenas and stadiums. You know, we saw them at gotcha. yeah. Gazaris. We saw them at uh, the El Monte Recreation Center. We saw them <laughs> there in, in El Monte at the Lions Club Center. We saw them uh, a bunch of times, a, a lot of times. I've, I've, uh, we watched them rehearse um, in a um, soundproof uh, room at the private storage place on Valley Boulevard near Mission. Um, mm. they, no, Walnut Grove. I'm sorry, Walnut Grove. That was that was, but that was before David Lee Roth was involved. That was just the brothers and uh, Michael Anthony and some other guy. I can't remember what his name was, and they weren't called Van Halen. They were called okay. um, Genesis or Mammoth or something like that. I remember, yeah. Jeff, you actually shared this story with me on uh, the very first time I had you on the show. So that was a really cool that you got to see him play in just uh, the humblest of settings. Yeah, so. man, and the, the guys from Motley Crue and the guys from Smile. And uh, there's a lot of bands that would rehearse in that building. And uh, we'd, uh, we'd just go from room to room. And as long as you had the, the requisite um, admission, you could get in. <laughs> yeah, so... So I've probably seen them maybe 16 times, maybe 17 times, but in actual concerts, uh, maybe a dozen. And I only ask because like, so, you know, I didn't really grow up listening to Van Halen. They were mm -hmm. more of the soundtrack song. Like you'd hear their song and know it was a hit, but like I didn't know them or really listen to them. And, uh, you know, Albert and I were concert people. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, a good studio band can be a crappy live band. And I never got to see them, but uh, or hear their music live until I saw a cover band perform some of their songs like this, yeah. uh -huh. Panther. And I would attest that live it changed the game. Like listening to it now, it's great. But yeah. when I got to see it performed live by good musicians, it just changed my opinion to a degree on just how much better it was. Like it's good on the radio but I can only imagine how great it was to see them perform live and play these songs. It's truly amazing. And not just to see it, uh, the guitar work, uh, but the, the drum solo that Alex Van Halen in concert does a really good drum solo. And it's, it's really impactful. You know, usually uh, ACDC is another one that was amazing in concert. You know, mm -hmm. if you have a chance to see them, Oh, Nick and uh, I did, yeah. <laughs> they they put on an amazing show, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, with the with the cannons and everything else. That's uh, one of the best, also. I would agree. Pretty good, pretty good. But um, and of course, I'm always partial to uh, to Aerosmith. But uh, been to a couple of festivals. I've seen Van Halen several several times. It's um, it's it, they never disappointed. They never did the same thing twice. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that you never got old. That's unique. Very cool. So let's go ahead and jump into uh, track number three. This is Panama. One of my favorites. So that's Panama. Uh, you know what? Uh, and I don't know if, I mean, Jeff, as you being the super fan, if you actually were able to pinpoint and pick your all-time favorite Van Halen song. For me personally, I think I actually would go with Panama. I think this has just been like this, the most like solid like rock songs you'll ever hear. And I always kind of envision it in my mind for like 
personal moments of triumph. Like, you know, if I successfully ask a girl on a date and I got and just hearing Panama <laughs> blasting in my mind. <laughs> so, you know, uh, just mo moments of like that are really awesome and cool in my life. I can just envision it in my head. And then usually if I'm driving, I want to blast it on my speakers really, really loud. I have a very difficult time. You know, people say, what, what's your, uh, what do they call it? The desert Island uh, song. Like if you're deserted on an Island, you can wait oh, yeah. album with you. Because I mean, my youth, I had, I had an eight track player in my car and I had, um, I had Van Halen. I had, I, I'd, I'd say beautiful girls, get someone to get me a doctor. Um, I mean, for heaven's sakes, I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to even because yeah, Panama is definitely one of them. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look at, look at what Panama says and it's just right there in your face. There were, there were reporters and news, news people, newspaper people who were criticizing the over sexualization of lyrics and songs. Mm -hmm. And this is just the most overtly in your face. If you don't like it, don't listen to it. Song about, about, a, you know, a hot woman, you know, it's, it's just, incredible. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, in uh, in cars too, you know. So actually, what's kind of interesting about this song, a funny story I read online was that apparently some uh, uh, music journalists were like uh, vo vocally writing and complaining about you know Van Halen's lyrics just deal with like sex, drugs, and rock and roll and fast cars and things of that nature. And I guess David Lee Roth kind of lamented, thinking, you know what, I haven't actually written a song about fast cars. Maybe I should. So I, I thought it was kind of funny. He's like, oh, okay, you're accusing me of this, but I've never actually done it. So let right. me go ahead and incorporate it into a song, uh, Panama. So so for those who are blissfully unaware, I mean, technically the song has nothing at all to do with the Central American country, but it just, it just has a just nice ring to it to call it Panama as opposed to like Guatemala or Costa Rica, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I heard someone get interviewed one time. He wrote the song, uh, My, My Sweet Melissa, something like that. And the interviewer said, oh, so your girlfriend was named Melissa? No, her name was Barbara, but it didn't make any sense to say my sweet Barbara. <laughs> so, yeah, Panama, Panama fitted. And and I mean, my gosh, what what a composition, you know. Um, but if you look, I mean, just look at them. There's no way. OK, this is kind of about a car, I suppose. But I mean, honestly, she's got an on ramp going through my bedroom. You know, that's not a, that's not a car. <laughs> you know, hot shoe, bending down the avenue, cutting half a ramp, coming through my bedroom. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Anyhow, oh, very yeah, cool. I like I like that. That is a that is a rocket. And if if anyone had any doubts about what this album was going to be, it's not all about synthesizers. It's about it's about definitely about rhythm and about music. It's about the it's about the guitar work, mm -hmm. definitely because. Because this this album has some of the best guitar work on it of any of the albums, definitely. It's just a hit from top to bottom. There's yes. one of the best live songs you could ever hear. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Very cool. And then speaking of uh, you know the rhythm and the music and and things of that nature, I want to go ahead and jump into track number four, Top Jimmy, which actually has become one of my favorites on this album as well. After researching this, uh. uh uh, album to prepare for this podcast. So here we go. This is track number four, Top Jimmy. So that's Tom Jimmy. I mean, I love how it starts out slow with a really cool rhythm to it. And then that picks up 
the pace and then the, the lyrics of this particular song. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I, I didn't know this before, Jeff, but apparently the Jimmy of Top Jimmy is actually uh, a friend of, uh, of David Lee Roth. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure. I can't remember the story exactly, but he was a maybe he was a radio guy or a. Well, I do have uh, the notes here only because I did the research. That's the only reason I know this. But apparently he he worked. Uh, he did two jobs. I mean, most people trying to make it in Hollywood, I guess, have to work multiple jobs. So yep. I guess uh, uh, the gentleman here, Jimmy or James uh, Konek, worked at a taco stand right outside A&M Records there in Hollywood during the day. In the evening, he was a bartender at a club called Zero Zero Club, a, a small, really dinky dive club that I guess David Lee Roth uh, would frequent and was a big fan of and saw him perform with his band, Top Jimmy and uh, oh, Rhythm Pigs. Thank you. Uh, Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs was the name of this band. And David Lee Roth saw him perform and he loved it. In fact, he actually performed with the band. Uh, a couple times and he was also like a financial backer of this particular dive bar so it was kind of interesting to hear that uh david lee roth i guess like you know was really a enjoyed like those hollywood spots that uh mm -hmm. would start out really small but end up becoming like big and famous because of who got associated with it right yeah yeah definitely that's cool yeah i love i love this song it's got it's got an awesome beat to it awesome rhythm i love it very cool. Uh, okay, so let's go ahead and jump into track number five. This is Drop Dead Legs. <laughs> There we go. So that's Drop Dead Legs. Uh, pretty self-explanatory, right? I mean, um, obviously, it's a, a, an attractive woman with very nice uh, uh, legs, right? <laughs> and, and a giant butt. <laughs> right there. Yeah. You know, you know, a band has made it when they can talk about butts just like that, like Queen and Van Halen. <laughs> giant butts. Very cool. In fact, uh, you know, the, the beginning kind of like the, the riffs that you get in the beginning of the song, it's almost kind of like Led Zeppelin-esque in my mind. Uh, do, you, do you see the comparison a little bit? Not like directly rip off, but just kind of like sort of similar, which is a cool sounding, I think. But no, I hear it. I hear it in the drums for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. That's that's very that's very good. I never I never put the two together. But yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's been cool preparing for this podcast because, I mean, I've been listening to this album extensively probably over the last like two weeks just after 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 just kind of like getting it into my head. So all these, as Nick mentioned, top to bottom, this is just a really great album. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into track number six. This was one of the, the main singles, and it was a huge popular oh, track man. on MTV. Uh, oh, Hot for Teacher. Teacher. Oh, wow, man. A... Wait a second, man. What do you think the teacher's going to look like this year? So yeah, so Hopper Teacher, very interesting uh, track. I mean, obviously one of their biggest hits as well, one of the most recognizable songs. And uh, for every guy who's ever ever attended, you know, school, I mean, there's probably that at least one teacher that was like <laughs> a, a complete knockout. In fact, I mean, Nick would probably attest to this as well. There was a particular teacher at 
Oak Avenue element, I'm sorry, Oak Avenue Junior High in the 90s, who I think every guy who saw just immediately fell in love with. Uh, Miss Hoopler, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't think of any teacher I've ever, there was one, but she didn't last long. Um, I think, I think uh, one, one very unique thing about this is the drums that are trying to uh, simulate the sound of a, a flathead Ford that's got a big cam in it, you know, that because it's not perfectly smooth. It's got that patenta, 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 you know, it's like three or four Harley Davidson engines bolted together. That's what that that drum solo uh, sounds like. It, I, I dig, I dig that so much. I I love the idea. The in in uh, Panama, the um, the was it Panama? Yeah, in Panama, they uh, they recorded the exhaust note from Eddie Van Halen's uh, Lamborghini. That's how they got that that sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so at first, I kind of thought that they recorded the exhaust of an actual uh, engine without without mufflers but um but that was all that was all alex van halen doing that i thought that was so cool Mm -hmm. Uh, i love this track because it kind of seems to me all the members of the band really get to shine you get the great drum work from from alex uh, some good bass line from uh, michael anthony and i think he even provides backup vocals as well right and then of course you always get the the antics of david lee roth and then the guitar work from eddie so if there's a song that really incorporates all the elements of the band together i think hot for teacher is probably one of the best examples of that it's a great song so this takes me back uh so my memory, I don't know why, and this wasn't the only song, but to me, this is kind of one of the songs that led to uh, parental guidance warnings <laughs> back in the 80s and 85, right, is when the big Senate hearing happened. And uh, just for me, I was a kid, I you know, I didn't hear the song then, but my as a kid memory is like, oh, this is Jeff, this is stuff my parents taught me not to listen to. <laughs> Yeah, and I did my best to keep it away from you guys, but there it was in my player. I don't know what to tell you. I didn't push play. <laughs> oh, you know, we were, we were a little older then, too. Yeah. But I well, Don contributed to that as well for, you know, pl- playing music. That, <laughs> Very cool true. Music. But I don't know, Jeff, like, I, you know, once again, for me, that time, I was too young to kind of remember it all. But I'm just curious, like, this is part of the start of the movement for censorship, if you will, in music. Um, what what does that bring back for you and what was it like living like through that with some of your favorite music well i here's what i remember i remember uh listening to tracks on on the radio from van from uh, van halen or from uh, aerosmith and then listening to them in concert and uh and hearing the real way it's supposed to be you know the um aerosmith actually had an album called um night in the ruts and uh, it was named Night in the Ruts because it was actually supposed to be right in the nuts, but the um, the censors uh, wouldn't let them get away with that. So they the, actually the actual name of the album had to be changed. And that's just one example of you know there's probably a, a dozen songs that they, they they do in concert that is unedited and uncensored. It's uh, quite different. Now this one from Half for Teacher, I don't know that that was really that that censored but um it seems like the lyrics got progressively more blatant more out there less double entendre less right. you know they weren't even trying to hide it anymore the early led zeppelin albums were filled with double entendre yeah. and um, <laughs> sorry but um that's it let me ask you guys something. It's it's really on topic, but it's off topic. Have you ever seen a picture of Eddie Van Halen where he's not smiling when he's playing guitar? Because I remember going to shows and purposely watching that dude's face, and he is having the best time throughout the entire the entire show from start to finish. He's got a huge smile on his face, and um, it really shows the love that he had for this music and, and the message, you know, these guys have been playing since they were in junior high school together and they, um, and they just, they just love the music. They love this stuff. So hot for teacher 
was just one expression of what they wanted to say. What they have, you know, they came straight from their hearts. It, that sounds corny, but because of the message that it, it is, but but that's it. They said what everyone wanted to say. Look, I would agree, Miss Hubler. That song was written about Miss Hubler, and everyone knows it. Our older brothers know it. Our our my mom could at least say, "Oh yeah, we remember hearing about her." So, so yeah, there's a reality to it. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I couldn't think of any teacher I'd want to see uh, outside of school at all. I, I don't know. I, like well, I you went to Rosemead schools, Jeff. So <laughs> I did. I did, man. We got uncle. We got, we got some, some pretty funky looking teachers. Notice we've only said one teacher. That's true. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So just one, just one. There's another one, but yeah. Very nice. Okay, so we touched on it earlier, the song I'll Wait. Uh, again, uh, this was an interesting track. There's an interesting story behind it as well, and we'll get to that as well. So let's go ahead and just jump in. Track number seven, this is I'll Wait. I'll wait. Uh, very heavy on the synthesizers again. So again, incorporating this this new uh, uh, sound that the band has been utilizing for this particular record. And I mean, again, Jeff, you could probably attest to this a little bit more. I wouldn't say so much turmoil, but I mean, I guess difficulty in the writing process, right? To the point where uh, Templeman, the 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 head of the studio. Uh, brought in uh, the Doobie Brother, uh, one of the guys from the Doobie Brothers, Michael McDonald, to help co-write the song. Had Van Halen incorporated or like uh, uh, collaborated with other artists before? I mean, it kind of seems that they kind of kept it in-house for the most part. Yeah, I don't think so. I, it's the first I heard of it. The, the only other time that Eddie Van Halen worked a little bit with um, that producer that did a Michael Jackson's song. Oh, uh, Quincy Jones? Yeah, Quincy Jones. But that was just because he was enthralled. I mean, Quincy Jones is a legend. Yeah, you know, why would you want to work with him? But um, but the other way around, I know that. And this is a this is something that they did. Uh, once again, I sound like a total fanboy for Aerosmith, but um, whenever uh, Steven Tyler was having difficulty with lyrics, they would bring in Desmond Child. Desmond Child was the um, lyricist and singer for Ted Nugent, and and a couple of others. You know, he's been a, a villain, and and at one time. He, he wrote a lot of the music for Aerosmith because Steven Tyler was so strung out that he wasn't producing uh, the actual lyrics. Uh, same thing here. You can tell the difference, I think, in the, in the style. Uh, it's, it seems like it's a little more lovey-dovey, if you ask me. I don't know. You get that sense? I think so. And it's also the slowest song on the whole album. Uh but I, mean, I think it's still cool sounding and it still fits in with what they were trying to accomplish with this particular record. But yet it is much slower than uh, the other, other songs featured here. Yeah, I would, I would say it's probably my least favorite one, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I hate to say that. I hate to pick out the ugly stepchild. But <laughs> truth is, is that it's just not pure Van Halen. It's mm-hmm. I, I feel kind of the same way about Sammy Hagar's contributions. I like Sammy Hagar. I like Montrose. I don't like I don't like Van Hagar that much. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'll listen to him. I'll find myself listening to him. It's not like you too, where I'll turn the thing. I'll turn the thing off. I'll throw it. <laughs> off but, but, um, you know, I've got I've got my preferences, and this this just seems like it's got a little bit too much influence from Michael McDonald. Mm-hmm. More artsy. Or yeah. So I mean, I guess expression. like. 
a lot of bands kind of maybe deal with issues like that where you know studio heads or studio executives are kind of like uh interceding themselves a little bit and it kind of seems i guess maybe that was the case uh, i haven't found out or read anything that, that there was any uh tension between them and uh uh, uh templeman but uh but again yeah it's, it's just interesting to see how the whole process plays out when a band who normally doesn't collaborate with other artists uh brings somebody in who may have been mandated by the studio to come in yeah. I think it's, it was really a matter of trying to make David Lee Roth work at this point because he didn't. This song has more synthesizer in it than any other song. Yeah, on the, on the album, and and that was that was his that was his poison. He didn't want it. So it's like, hey, uh, we're we're expecting the lyrics. What's going on? So they they end up having to hire someone that is a lyricist, mm-hmm. not a not a flamboyant. Um, performer entertainer but he's a lyricist that's michael mcdonald yeah i think it matches the song okay it's just not my favorite song on the album oh very nice very nice okay so let's go ahead and jump into uh track number eight this is girl gone bad It's interesting that we go from the song I'll Wait into Girl Gone Bad, but back into like the really awesome guitarist from, from Eddie. Uh, and the lyrical content, actually, I think this is kind of a deep, one of the deeper songs of Van Halen's uh, repertoire, like uh, almost like a, a cautionary tale for, for a woman who's making bad decisions in her life and, you know, how she could possibly correct it. Uh, so it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's moving away. I think a little bit from like the party aspect of like jump in Panama into maybe a little more, uh, sensitive, more serious topic. Would you, would you agree, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually a very dour, um, song for this, this particular female, whomever it might probably represents a lot of females that the Van Halen that, that David Lee Roth has come across. Um, yeah. Right. That's that's probably what this is. Um, I think there's a time when you have to take take stock of of what you've done in the and look at the road that you've left behind you. And this is kind of what he saw um, in the wake of his um, his lifestyle, what he's done. You know, um, to me, I, I, I like this song. I like the I like the guitar work on it. Uh, I like the rhythm. And, and I actually do like the lyrics because I think it's very real. And it's obviously a David Lee Roth, Roth uh, sorry, David Lee Roth song. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, he didn't he didn't collaborate with anybody on this. Very nice. Okay, so to cl- conclude the album, let's go ahead and jump into track number nine. This is House of Pain. Cool. So that was the concluding track, House of Pain, which, again, I think encompasses the, the classic Van Halen uh, style in the 
the music, but the lyrics also kind of dealing with a, a sensitive topic of like, you know, a woman who's yeah. leaving a man because of a failed relationship. So again, uh, it, it's kind of interesting that the album starts out really like a uh, party heavy, I guess, but then kind of at the end tapers down to more like a sensitive uh, in more personal uh, topics uh, as far as like the lyrical content goes. Yeah. It's David Lee Ross saying goodbye. This is his, this is the last song on this, probably the last song he wrote. And um, it, it, it's got all the elements in it. You know, he's, he's miserable. It's a house of pain. He, he's broken hearted because he didn't get his way a hundred percent. And I think he was kind of leading the charge, leading the Van Halen banner all this time with, with Eddie uh, having a supporting role. When in fact it was his guitar riffs that were carrying the band from the very beginning. Um, kind of a come to realization moment for for uh, DLR there. Um, I like the song. I, I like I like the album. Um, you know, another album that came out that was actually a little more successful was Dio's album um, mm. at the time. And I don't know how much you guys know about Dio, and and I can't I can't you know my memory is is a little on the on the uh, strange side. Uh, I don't know if you were working with me, Nick, at the time, but we did a, a bridge over a road for Ronnie James Dio in near the Rose Bowl. He lived up there by the Rose Bowl. I didn't do that. I wasn't there for that. There for that? Okay. So no. when I was uh, younger, I used to ride my moped up to the Odd Fellows Temple in Pasadena where uh, Ronnie James Dio would be performing and he would have this it, it seemed like the same darn song for three hours, man. It just went on and on. And it was amazing. It was, it was, it was incredible. And I think, I think he influenced because they shared um, management for a while, the uh, Van Halen's and Ronnie James Dio. Um, I remember having to use their facilities inside the house and uh, you have to climb these steps and there are uh, platinum records. Uh, you know, all the way up the steps leading to the John. Um, and a couple of them were uh, Van Halen uh, albums. And I, I asked, I said, how'd you get that? Well, we shared, you know, they share uh, management. So he, he was just using them as, as kind of his decorations and stuff. But um, it was that, that the, the reason I bring this up is it was that influence of the, of the heavy metal, because this is the most heavy of the songs, right, I think right. the most metal-like. Yeah, um, I think I think that's I think that's due to a little bit of uh, bleed over from from uh, the Dio folks. Um, I dig it. I, I like this song. I really do. And uh, if David Lee Roth wasn't such an egomaniac, I think I think they could have continued on with their home studio and did a little more progressive work. And kept that really hard, rocking uh, sound. But um, from what I understand, they went through a couple of different singers and tried out different lead men uh, after Roth left. David Lee Roth's solo career, I think there was maybe two songs that I thought were pretty cool. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, just like Paradise, I think, was kind of good. But once again, very heavily produced, not, not really very, not from the heart. Um, but some pretty good guitar work on that. I can't remember who his guitar player was. Do you know? Do you know him? Off the top of my head, I don't know. No, but I, I, I like that track that you're talking about. That's one of the probably the most recognizable, I think. Other than his cover of uh, uh, California Girls by the Beach Boys, but again, that's not an original his. So, yeah. but yeah. that is a good. That's a good cover though. <laughs> that's pretty good. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, Van Halen, 1984. I mean, the, their most commercially successful album. Uh, many fans would argue their best album. Uh, I was curious from your point of view, Jeff, is that one of your favorites? Uh, would you consider it the top Van Halen album? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. I would have to say uh, I would only cut maybe two songs out of this album if I were to put together my ideal 12 track album. Mm -hmm. uh, these this they'd probably have a good six of them off of here. Definitely. Panama is one of my very favorites of all time. And Hot for Teacher, just the doggone rhythm and the thing. You could have you could have sang the the recipe for Aunt Jemima's um, pancakes. And I still would have liked <laughs> It'd the song. still be great. Yeah, it would still be great. So that that's what I think makes a really good song. If you can 
take the lyrics out of it and still listen to it and enjoy it. You know, it's uplifting. It's something that's good, lovely, and of good report as far as I'm concerned. Oh, there I you go. So the everybody should be listening to it, right? I'd the new hymn book, definitely. <laughs> Goes right with I'm a child of God, hand in hand. Well, you know, what's it, what's it all for? <laughs> Honestly, what are you fighting for if it ain't for this? Very nice, very nice. Oh, love it. Uh, Nick, I want to give you an opportunity to chime in. Uh, what did you think generally about this whole album? I know uh, it probably wasn't one that was in frequent uh, rotation as far as like, you know, music in your, your CD player. But I mean, this was one that you enjoy as well, right? Yeah, I think it's a great album. I think I missed it um, for most of my life. I That whole. So I would say, Jeff, growing up, I remember a lot of Aerosmith uh, and then listening to the classic rock radio channels. Um yeah. So hearing a lot of the music, but I like when I went home, I put on 311 and the more modern stuff. Um, yeah. And I didn't appreciate it at the time. I mean, I liked it. I don't think I appreciated it enough until I'll go back to my uh, Steel Panther. Hearing them perform these songs live just changed the game. And I appreciated it so much more and yeah. realized, you know, I already thought it was great, but realized it was better than great. Like a live, if you can find, if you're listening, if you can find a Van Halen cover band that's decent and you've never been able to hear them live, just go listen because it might change your mind and make you appreciate it even more. And as you know, Jeff, like we appreciate live music. If you can perform live, anyone can perform in a studio, but to do what, what they did live, that's greatness. Yeah, you think of uh, Van Halen too. Is I mean I'm just looking at the albums that that I would put up there. Van Halen two. I don't think there's a clinker on there, at all. And on ba Van Halen, so Van Halen the first one and Van Halen two, mm -hmm. those are those are choice. I I would have a heck of a time taking any of these tracks off. Definitely. Very nice. Yeah. Well, like I mentioned at the top of the show, like uh, I think when when things happen, like, you know, when when someone famous passes away, we kind of want to honor and respect them. So, you know, in 2020, when Eddie passed away, uh, I, I found myself listening to all their music again, just, like, oh, just almost like binging it again and just taking it all in. And then, of course, uh, as I doing research and discovered, hey, Van Halen's 1984 album's about to celebrate its 40th anniversary. Uh, it just seemed perfect and ideal time just to sit down and listen to this album track by track. And as I mentioned, I've been listening to it like probably nonstop for the past like week and two weeks, just preparing for, for this particular recording. So uh, it, it's nice and great that these things get recorded so we can keep them for posterity purposes. And long after Eddie and the rest of the guys that, you know, pass on, we'll still have this to, to listen to and enjoy, which is really cool. And the fact that, you know, younger people, younger than us even can, can get into it as well. I think it's a really cool thing to see. So yeah, Van Halen 1984, it comes with my highest possible recommendation. Uh, and I hope everyone gets a chance to listen to it, to celebrate it for its uh, 40th anniversary come january 9th so it's an a plus cool. album i agree 100 very cool uh any last minute thoughts you want to bring up about van halen or anything else before we wrap up i nope. don't okay I don't. very cool so we're I, right at the hour mark jeff so i didn't want to keep you up later than you want it to be so <laughs> oh that's okay it's all right i got it it's not, not a big deal i'm gonna i'm just gonna rest tomorrow well i know that we just start, we can get you talking on van halen for a while so <laughs> we could all go for me on music just for well, I love it. I, well, I love to do a review of the earlier stuff too. Um, but but I oh absolutely. In fact, uh, yeah, Nick had mentioned it to me, like you know, like oh, it's it's cool that you're doing this. But I mean, technically, for the podcast, I can kind of do whatever I want. So I was kind of looking for anniversary dates, but I mean, even just a general like uh, picking a specific album and talking about it. In fact, I mean, last year we I missed uh, uh, Aerosmith's Get a Grip album, which celebrated its 30th anniversary. So yeah, that might be cool to go back and revisit that one as well. I just think. I think if we, we just need to do an Aerosmith one. Uh, we, could do, we could do one on Aerosmith. We could do one on Leonard Skinner. We could do one on, I mean, there's a couple of bands that we could set aside, even 311, stuff like that. You well, know, you know, I, I want speaking of 311s, I was going to save that for for Derek and and yeah. possibly bring on Marcelo. But I mean, they're going to the uh, the Sound System album celebrates its 25th anniversary this year at the end of the year in October. So, but again, like I said, for the podcast, we can just kind of do whatever I want. So yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, no, I'm I'm all about it. Thank you for including me in this. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Jeff. I Good mean, to topics. be honest, from all my all our friends, I mean, there's really there's no one else to ask when it comes to talking about Van Halen. So of course, I 
We yeah. definitely got to have you on. <laughs> I, I probably did such a horrible job as a young men's president, man. I, I, I exposed you guys to so much stuff. You probably shouldn't have been. What do you, what do you mean? It's great that you did, because if someone who was bad had done it, we might have turned out worse. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, huh? Just you, that of, uh, you, you, you know, would... I'll tell you one thing real quick. There was a kid. Um, I don't think I should use his name, but there was a kid who really wanted to hang out with us. We took him to that that Van Halen show I told you about in El Monte, and he was about two years younger than us, and he got away from us. Uh, he lived next to a friend of mine, John Ma, and we took him to the show, and he got away, and we looked, and there he was up on stage screwing with the guitars right behind Eddie Van Halen. He was he ended up he was handing Eddie the guitars. He just right off the bat, this kid was a complete virgin when it comes to <laughs> made his way up and rock and roll became his life. And he's not very good at it. <laughs> his life is not that well. Look, that reminds me. Uh, Makes me feel bad. What was it? We did a warp tour in Kurzoo. Oh, I yeah. I remember him. Yeah, I remember that. I remember Asian that. convert. Like he went, we took him and we ended up splitting up from him. And later on, he like he got backstage. He met Blink One Eighty Two. He was on stage with them, like helping uh, when they were done, helping them take their equipment off stage. Yeah, so I'm like carrying an amplifier. I'm like, well, what's he doing? Yeah, we were like, like, he's like, yeah, I'm friends now. Like, <laughs> it was crazy. We're like, how? He's, he thought he won a guitar. He was trying to find out where to get his guitar. He won, and just in doing that, he ended up going backstage, meeting the band, becoming friends, and yeah. on helping them their crew remove equipment not knowing anything by the way that's <laughs> hilarious that's funny. yeah in fact i mean similar situation jeff i don't think he even really liked blink 182 he just wanted to hang out with us no. you were going so <laughs> yeah it's true that's cool. oh, very cool well nick jeff thank you again for giving me your time and it's always great to catch up with old friends but then of course always great to talk about music that we love so we'll definitely do this again very very soon awesome right. okay to- Okay, have a good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Happy for Fun podcast. Yeah.